Welcome back to Tasting Wild, episode two, part two. Let's go ahead and wrap up this topic of small and upland game by jumping right into squirrels. Joel, I know you're a big squirrel hunter, so why don't you go ahead and take this one? Like, uh, for me down here in, t- in Tennessee, man, if, uh, if, if you're a hunter, you shot a squirrel. I mean, that's, that's what, how my father, uh, got me broken in into hunting, you know, when it went for squirrel hunting in, in general, you know, you can take your kids out there, you can, you're showing them nature. You, it's, it's not just all about going out there and shooting a squirrel. You're showing them the woods, you're teaching them about the woods. And then you, you hopefully we bag some squirrels in the process. And if they're not the most elusive of species either, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's a good starting point to get your kids on. Um, so now, do you guys go out with like a bag of peanuts and like sit in the park yes, and like absolutely and a cro- <laughs> and, and a crossbow air rifle? <laughs> Isn't that, is that how you do it? One of those now, camo quiet ones or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It whispers. <laughs> it whispers. The, the Walmart Walmart special for ninety nine bucks. I talk about that crap. I bought one of those. It's garbage. <laughs> anyway, anyways, but um, we just lost the sponsor. <laughs> Oops. Uh, so, but now, man, like. Uh, you know, do's and don't with squirrel hunting. It, it's a lot different than than bird hunting, and even with rabbit hunting. Because I feel like with rabbit hunting, you're you a lot of times you're working with dogs, and you get that rabbit that flushes out quickly. And you know, you got to watch the dogs, and you got to watch the people around you. With squirrel hunting, it's more of a leisurely thing for me. Uh, I'm walking through the woods, I'm looking for movement, um, and you know, hopefully, I bag some things. But I will tell you this. What got me really passionate about squirrel hunting was hunting with dogs, hunting with mountain curs, and watching those dogs work and how passionate the dog was. The dog, you know, wanted to do well, wanted to to make uh, to accomplish its goal. And for us as the hunter, when that dog treed, if we didn't get there, we had it was on us then. We got to get there as fast as possible in order to get the dog its reward for treeing that squirrel and so they tree them let yeah. me stop you for a second because i've never i've never hunted with dogs like other than pointers and flushers um so the dogs actually tree the squirrels like they're chasing what, them on the ground and what, run them up like a, like a coon dog amazing. Or something like what that. they actually do is, is they get on a trail well, you know you, you walk out in the woods it's not like they see the squirrel and go after it they start sniffing specifically for that squirrel's scent and they'll follow uh, tra- trails, and you can tell when the if you train the dog, if you're an actual dog trainer, you can tell when that dog is on a cold trail versus a hot trail, versus the pitch in their voice, um, or how erratic they're acting when they're smelling the ground. And you know, as soon as they hit that hot trail and they and they they sound out um, with their bark, that's when hey, we got to get going. And then they, as soon as they tree one, the, the, the consistent barking that they're getting, um, you got to get there and get there quick because if that squirrel takes off out of that tree and you lose a squirrel, you got to disappoint a dog. And, and the point with the squirrel dog is, is to give that, – that's their reward. It's not treats or anything like that. Them hearing that gun go off and that squirrel drop, that's their reward. Yeah, I know, I know hunting. My dog will give me the look back. When I miss <laughs> over the shoulder, like what come was on, that, huh? man, what was come that? on, jeez. But you know, um, back back to like you know taboos and stuff. You know, I think 
earlier in our conversation before we got on here, we kind of talked about the rifle versus the shotgun. Um, yeah, I think I think John, you brought yeah, that up, right? John, yeah. Uh, so I grew up. Uh, my first uh, animal I ever killed, harvested, was a squirrel, and uh, it was the first thing I was introduced to. I think I was 12 years old. And uh, it's just something, again, it's easy to take kids out into. And I shot my first one with my Ruger 1022, first gun I ever bought. And um, I just pretty much, when I break out the 22, I'm either going to the range or I'm going in the squirrel woods. And uh, for years, I hunted with a 22, and it was nice to sneak up on them and uh, know that I outsmarted them and sniped them out of the tree. And uh, it wasn't in here until recently where people, you know, started talking about, uh, you know, you're shooting that gun in the air. Aren't you afraid you're going to miss the target? Where's that bullet going? And uh, as, a, as a pretty safe hunter myself, um, I try to be very, you know, safety is always in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'll admit, you know, that wasn't something, um, you know, you assume you're going to hit that target. Uh, but if there's a branch in your way, whatever the case may be, that bullet could go errant and you don't know where it's going to go. So I've since taken a little bit of a different approach. You can definitely still use a 22, but you really want to try to make sure that that squirrel is between you and a tree uh, so that there's something behind that bullet to, to stop it from going somewhere you don't want it to go. Uh, so most of us, yeah, most of us in our hunter safety classes, the first thing we, we learn is what are you shooting yeah. and what's beyond. And I think if you're shooting up at a squirrel uh, in a tree, I mean, I'm never, I'm not going to go out and hunt dove with a 22. Sure. And even because I don't know Even what's if beyond. you hit your target with a solid lead point .22, it's going to go right through that squirrel like warm butter, and it's still going to be solid, and you, know, you just don't know how far it's going to go. Uh, if you use hollow points, there's a chance you know, the, you know, it could break apart and mushroom out and uh, not go nearly as far. Uh, but it's just something to be cautious of. Uh, I will say la ladder in my uh, squirrel career, now that I take my boys out, to try to sneak up on squirrels with two 800-pound gorillas walking behind you. Uh, it's not possible. So I take the shotgun out now when I take the boys with me because I can, I have a lot higher chances of killing squirrels and those boys, their reward is dad pulling the trigger and they get to hold those squirrels in their game pouches. You know, that's, yeah. so your so your boys become exactly. the dogs. Yes. Yeah, man, definitely. They need to be the dogs, man. That's how I'm, I was a dog whenever I freaking started my hunting career for freaking <laughs> yeah, years that's that's what my dad used me for forever i was the i call my daughter the bird dog i was like i dropped a dove and i was like go get my it da, my dog. dad used to brag i got um, the best bird dog in the field he goes get him son you know and i'd go run it out there anyways <laughs> but no john to your point man like with the 22 i would i generally like when i'm when i'm deer hunting when you're sitting in a tree stand you're sitting there and you you're, you're silent and you're still you become a part of what nature is. When you're not moving and you're just looking and you're listening, you become one with the surroundings that you're in. They start accepting you as just a piece of that of that nature. And when I squirrel hunt uh, with a with a 22, I find myself I want to I like to sit on a, on a tall ridge and I like to just wait because it's like clockwork, dude. As soon as daylight hits, here they come right out of those trees, right onto the ground, and there's my safe shot right there. You know, and I'll shoot one, I'll mark it, and I'll sit, and I'll, and I'll wait. And as soon as they, their little buggers calm down, here they come again. And I'll usually get about three to four squirrels, depending on the, the, the white oak ridge I'm on, uh, per spot. And then once I do that, I know I've probably shot the area out, and I'll go on to the other side. But if I'm doing like a spot and stock, if I'm walking through the woods, it's always a scattergun. It's always a shotgun. 
with a uh, an improved cylinder choke in there. And I, you know, I use I buy the cheapest shells that I can that I can find. You know, cheapest lead shot that I can find. Um, and that's that, that that's just me. You know, I I, I like to to get that that skeet low, that seven and a half ounce or something like that, and use that to uh, to do that walking stock type of hunting. Go ahead, bro. So let me ask you this: Have you guys ever heard of the term edging? If you edge a squirrel, does that ring a bell to anybody? No. So it's new. It's new to me. Again, so when I'm Randy, have you heard of it? I heard of. Is it like barking a squirrel, where you shoot next to it and it knock it off the tree? Exactly. Or in this case, you shoot in front of it so that a few pellets hit the head. So it's like uh-huh. you know, head shooting them with a rifle, but you're just you're not putting the shot right in the center of that squirrel to ruin the meat. So so it's like so it's like shooting a turkey. You're aiming for the head. But in this case, you're actually aiming, since the squirrel's so small, you're aiming for the, you know, the edge of it, the very outside of it, so that just a few hit it. Mm. And that's new to me, you know, and again, when I... Sh- so you're so you're leading the squirrel. So that you're just getting the outside of the pattern in it. And uh, mm. again, with kids, when I take them out, you know, we need to harvest it. You can bet that I'm putting a dead square on that squirrel and pulling the trigger. Yeah, body. If, I, if I'm out by myself, it may be something that I may look to do is to try to uh, just mm. minimize the damage that that shotgun may do. I know I didn't mention it, but here in Missouri, you can start <coughs> shooting squirrels Memorial Day weekend, and it runs all the way through like the end of February. It's crazy. They're just long enough to get them in the nest and get them out, and then they're yeah. free game. So, um, but yeah, so that was a new term that I just heard. So that's a good. One. What was that? What, what was that term again? So in case edging. anyone missed it, you edge them. You know. And Randy, and Randy, uh, what the one, you call I, one I've heard of is what uh, what Daniel Boone used to do. He used to not used to use the muzzleloaders, right, for shooting them. And so instead of actually hitting them when you're with a 45 caliber round ball or whatever, he'd shoot about an inch to the right of them or the left of them or something. And that impact alone would uh, would basically stun them and knock them out and drop them to the ground just because that you know just the sheer force of that, that shell hitting the mm. tree. And uh, then he'd go get them and not have any ruined meat. So that he called it barking. Wow. Them. I want um, you guys to know. That you just mentioned, Daniel Boone. He just so <laughs> he so happens to me happens to be my uh, five time great grandfather. Oh, well, good. you know what? I'll I'll, I'll get on the, the, the internets. Yeah, I got to see this. I, I need the I need the, the what's that ancestry website? No, ancestry.com, man. man. I need to see the tree. <laughs> my great my great grandmother uh, was a Tillery, but before that, her mother was a Boone. And uh, th- and then their wow. two grandfathers ahead of that was Daniel Boone. That's a little bear yeah, sucker. Well, uh, Let's do guns. Yeah, well, I, I came over from Ireland, so screw you all. I live here. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> so let's talk about, uh, I mean, do, is butchering and, and cuts on a squirrel going to be the same well, as it is I'll, a rabbit? I'll tell you this, dude. Uh, I think – I want to bring this up real quick. I think skinning the squirrel – is something people struggle with. When I first started started uh, hunting squirrels, I would actually tear squirrels in half trying to skin them. And I've got like a the way I skin them, you can literally do it in under a minute. Um, I will prove that jazz. YouTube I got video. camera. YouTube I got YouTube. <laughs> that was a challenge accepted. But now what I do is uh, I get the squirrel and I get to the base of the tail right below the bone. And I, I, I cut right beneath there, and then I snap that bone. But I don't want to break the skin. I just snap the, the tailbone all together. And then I cut back about an inch away from basically the, the butt of the squirrel. And then down, the once you get to the to the front of the hindquarter, cut down about a quarter inch each side. 
then all you got to do is, is put that squirrel's tail on the ground, put your boot heel on it, pull up, and you're going to take the base take the three quarters of the skin off that squirrel. The whole front half's going to come off, and then all you got to do is hook your two mm. fingers in the remaining half, jerk it off, jerk the rest of it off of there, and you're good to go. I mean, it's it's, it's the simplest, fastest way that I. So it's almost like a catfish. Yeah, yeah where you where got you're... Grab it, grab it, and peel it. I mean, like, trying to do it like you would a deer or something. Go ahead, John. I was just going to say, I, I was introduced to squirrel hunting. That's how I got into the woods. Yeah. And I I left squirrel hunting for years for two reasons. One, I struggled mightily with skinning. One, due to a poor knife choice. And yeah. two, just didn't have anyone show me a good way to do it. And then the other thing, which we'll get to here in a second, is a good recipe. If I'm going to kill it, I'm going to eat it. And I couldn't find a good way to make squirrel, so I'm looking forward to your recipe. Because uh, well. I've now... I've now been eating a lot more now, so. Well, I'll tell you, man. So let's, I, let's I, get right I, into I that, Joel. I have let's, a quick question. About... Yeah, man. Have Have you yeah, guys seen those Justin. the squirrel skinners? They're like the wall-mounted uh, squirrel that... skinners. It's. Mm-mm. Sounds like a great name that, for it a band, does. though. No, they're like uh, it looks like <laughs> a it's like a flat piece of metal. It's kind of bent on the the top and bottom ends, and it's mounted to the wall. It's got like three grooves where you basically like put it. You put his head in the center, and then uh, each of the front legs on oh, each side. Like, yeah, yeah, same skin. thing. But I, yeah, I've yeah, seen smaller scale. versions for for squirrels. Huh. Hmm. Well, now I've used those for rabbit. Like when you you do that, you put this little head up there and pull mm-hmm. it straight down. Same same concept. Yeah, it's, you can probably make that super easy with yeah. a couple of nails. Well, now, now what about what about bigger bigger squirrels? You guys are all talking like tree squirrels. Do y'all ever do like box squirrels? Or- no, like marmots or like uh, rock chucks or wood chucks or anything like that. I've never seen those? one of those. What kind of squirrels grow? <laughs> you know, dude, we got squirrels that are size of like like. Uh, Brady's got big like fancy York, equipment, man. crazy recipes, and 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 crazy and giant pre- uh, prehistoric squirrels. <laughs> well, what you guys don't right? know is that Randy lives right next to a nuclear <laughs> testing field. <laughs> If he has all those nuclear squirrels out there, the, the incredible amount of time. Ten pounds of squirrels to get up here. <laughs> Don't let your kids so, out at so, night so I, the squirrels. <laughs> I encourage you gentlemen to uh, look up the rock chuck shooting competition that they have in Bliss, Idaho. Where I'm, they writing weigh this, in I'm writing this down with squab right here, okay? <laughs> so, so, so there's this bar. There's this bar down there. This poor girl that was their host ended up catching cancer. It's a terrible story, but they started putting on this yearly rock chuck shooting um, competition where the heaviest rock chuck of the year and it's basically just a big a big old squirrel um, and I think they're having like 12, 14 pound squirrels um, no, I'm, shut up kidding. look it up, serious, that's a, serious. That's, a, that's a freaking dog dude it, for, for most of you who can't see this I'm on my phone right now alright so to me this looks like a whistle pig or a woodchuck or a groundhog that's, yeah it looks like a groundhog that's what I was saying, I was saying rock chucks, woodchucks groundhog, um, listen bro that's well, here, here, it, hold it, on. It I have, a, I have a question a for you. a squirrel if it ain't a daggum tree. It's a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how much wood is a woodchuck wood. chuck? A woodchuck chuck wood. This thing, yeah, that, yeah. That thing's fat. Holy cow. Oh, I'd eat that. So this is a straight ground puppy. squirrel, what this is. Yeah, like All a woodchuck right. or a rock chuck is what we call them. Marmot. Well, let's talk about, I mean, if we're talking like that ground stuff, prairie dogs. Dude, this is like I a giant prairie on dog on steroids is what this looks like to me. This is, this so, is. So, I'm going to why, I'm. I'm going to Wyoming here to hunt antelope. Justin's going with me. He's taking him out for his first time. And a landowner told us to kill and harvest as many prairie dogs as we can, eat, as, as we can shoot, right? Because they're everywhere. They're 
killing her cattle because they're breaking legs and all that kind of stuff. And one thing that Justin and I said we're going to do is we're going to create a recipe to eat the taboo elusive. Well, what are you going to shoot? Uh, what are you going to shoot? Over because the, the videos I seen, them, them suckers getting. Oh, we're not shooting with the, with the two two seven. No, no, no. We're shooting shotguns and twenty two. Yeah, we're we're aiming for. Uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do that because I think like some of these big old huge taboo type animals that all of us don't want to do, uh, we're gonna cook up and well, make some I, delicious I recipes. Say this. So, Randy, if uh, yeah. for our listeners, listeners out there, that the rock chuck is a groundhog's body with a squirrel's head, basically a fat Albert with a squirrel. <laughs> this would be the equivalent to that. Good gravy, do I could I could eat off that sucker for two days. So it's all, all right, it's well, literally the website is rockchuckderby.com. Go there and it'll talk about uh, five days, five biggest rock chucks. Uh, when, hold on, when are the days? Uh, when are the May, days? May 12th through 17th. Is when it was. All right, so the five Good of us trip. will head in there in May <laughs> yeah. to have a uh, competition. Uh, and I will just say right now that I, I already won. So uh, let's get right into it then, Joel. Let's talk about this. This idea of eating. Ah, man. Well, I'm going to bring a southern treat to you guys. I'm sure all of you have had it, you know, as uh, squirrel dumplings. Uh, mm. If you've had chicken and dumplings and you think that's good, you need to try squirrel dumplings. And and this, uh, this little recipe that I have, it's simple, it's easy, and it's inexpensive. Um, you're talking like maybe three to four squirrels per batch. You probably feed with that. Um, I would say three to four people. Um, and all you're going to do is you're going to get that squirrel. And because squirrel is a squirrel's a tough meat. So if you don't own a pressure cooker, then you got to boil that sucker or crock pot it for, you know, eight to 10 hours. But if you want to just do this, like a quicker recipe, take the squirrel and boil it for about two hours um, or until you can drop a fork in it. So it's tender, debone it, throw it back in there, um, and I use – when you throw the meat back in there, you're basically creating a stock. And uh, you know, you're going to salt and pepper and season that the, the water that you boiled it in and then add some chicken broth, like a cup, two cups on top of that. And then I like to use the cheapest biscuit dough that I can find, little tiny egg, three to four rolls, the cheapest biscuit dough I can find because they're smaller biscuits. And I cut those into in halves or quarters throw them in there and you want to get all the biscuit dough in there uh at the same time and it'll start to swell and rise up and once it starts to cook down you're gonna get that gravy it's gonna start cooking up looking and getting thicker and i, I like to once they get down to a silver dollar size i pull them out and i take a bite of one if it's kind of doughy in the center i got that still a little bit gooey that's perfect texture for me i pull it off the eye and you're done that sounds Delicious. like it, sounds like I need to go and hunt. Dude, I'm telling somewhere. you, it's like a stick to your ribs, just like I warm. Oh god, I just, I just, I don't even want to talk about it. So how much? How many <laughs> squirrels? <laughs> how many squirrels do you recommend, like per recipe? Three, three to four. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. And and again, all these recipes are going to be posted uh, on the blog. Uh, you'll be able to click there. There'll be, there'll be links on the podcast to go and see and create all these recipes. Um, now, one thing that we're going to do later before we get into our last animal here is we're going to be having a contest coming up in the next couple months uh, where we want you to create your favorite recipe. We want you to send it. We'll, we'll tell you where to go on future podcasts, 
and you'll be able to get some swag from all of us uh, and some some That's freebies. So be in the lookout for that. Uh, but let's get into our our last set of uh, Upland game. Uh, one of my absolute favorite things to hunt. Uh, if I had to choose uh, one to two animals to hunt for my entire life, it would be this next this next set of animals, uh, and that'd be pheasant, pheasant and grouse. Uh, pheasant hunting to me is uh, one thing that I love taking new hunters out uh, because it really gives them and yourself the chance to hone in and teach their skills. That really gives you a chance to teach them all the basics uh, for for safe hunting in a controlled environment. Because when you're hunting pheasant with dogs, you're it's a pretty <laughs> controlled environment. I don't know. I know, John, you can agree with me, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, because... Those pheasant, when they get scared or they get they, they know the dogs on them, they don't move. They they hunker down as flat as they can underneath a bush, underneath a some some pile of grass, and they get down as low as they can so that that they can't be seen. Um, and it's a good chance for you to take a young hunter out. I took my nephew out for his very first hunt. Uh, I I helped with um, California State ran youth hunts for pheasant. All I gotta say is it's one of my one of my favorite things. So let's get into some tips and tricks pheasant hunting. So I know, John, again, you do a lot of stuff with, with pheasants uh, as well and organizations and like that. I know, Joel, you've never, never hunted a pheasant, man. right? I've never, I've never seen one in the wild. Which is crazy to me to think <laughs> of. But again, I've never hunted <laughs> there a squirrel. You go, man. So, so let's talk about some tips and tricks when it comes to uh, hunting pheasants as well as grouse. Because I think grouse can be categorized in that, that flusher category like, like pheasants. So. I, just, I think, again, it comes back to the dog. The dog's number one. Safety's number one. So I'll throw that out there again because it's always worth mentioning. But typically you're walking, you know, sometimes, you know, you may have blockers at the end of the field for pheasants that do want to run. If they get out ahead of the dog, uh, you may want to have people up there to block them from running out of the field. And then uh, once they get down there, they'll flush back to uh, the folks with guns or the blockers may get a chance to get on those. But you just want to let the dog do the work. You want to go slow through the field, let the dog work back and forth. If you don't have dogs, I mean, it's probably possible uh, to hunt pheasants. You're just not going to be nearly as successful as finding all the birds in the field. But again, zones. Yeah, Joel. Yeah, what's up? I've I've been out with people where on these guided hunts that not guided hunts, but these youth hunts that we do, and we have dog handlers, but some people can come without dogs, and they think they can pheasant hunt without dogs, and they'll walk through a field of alfalfa that's knee high twelve times and not flush one bird, uh, because they walked literally six inches from a bird and didn't even know it, and we'll go in, and so then when I'm done with a hunt, I'll take a dog over there. And I'll walk that same field with those hunters who swore to me up and down that there was no birds in that field. And I'll put two birds in everyone's yeah. bag because of that dog. And that's the thing, too, is I think we get down to it is listening to the dog handler. In a situation, if you're not the owner of that dog, the dog handler has to say. All the time. Yep. Um, and I think that's something, something we really haven't touched on is an average, a good bird dog is going to cost anywhere between with all the training and all the, the stuff you're going to do and all the collars and all that stuff, well upwards of two to $3,000. Yeah, $3, even more in some situations. Uh, minimum, minimum, uh, to get a good pointer. Now, now, flushers are different. I have guys that swear up and down that they only use labs, um, and I've been out there with a big old bulky lab who's just flushing birds. I'd much rather go out there with a with a pointer. With a pointer, it's always a more control situation because you can get people in place. Great. With the flusher, I love. I'm a lab guy. I love labs. They just they're really not as well suited for upland hunting. Uh, yeah, I'd much rather have them in yep. the water, getting those ducks for me, uh, or even quail hunting. Be able to flush, a, you know, getting a dog and be able to flush 
I've, uh, it's different. But with pheasant, I think getting that really good pointer, uh, you've got so many mixes and breeds out there now that are pointers. You've got your short, your long, you've got your poodles, you've got your uh, Italians, you've got all these other pointers out there. There's a world of it, it out there. It sounds to so. me like, like you know, uh, for somebody who's never done uh, pheasant hunting, it sounds to me like it's very organized. Um, if you don't controlled chaos, yeah, is but what I mean, we call like, it. Do you, for, for for somebody who has never done it before, if I was to say tomorrow I'm loading, I'm loading my truck, getting my guns, and I'm going to go pheasant hunting, if if it was in season or whatever, but um, I need to do my research first, right? Or you know, yes. make sure that I know what I'm uh, getting myself into before I do it. Or do you even recommend more? If you're going to go pheasant hunting for the first time, make sure you're going with somebody that you know. That's what I would say with almost any sort of hunting. You know, never go out there and just try to shoot from the hip, you know, with whatever it is you're going to be doing. Go out with someone who's been there before and knows how to do it. Chances are, one, you're likely going to be more successful and you're going to be more safe. And you're going to learn those unwritten rules, uh, the etiquette of the field, you know, to make sure that you're going to uh, be successful in the future. But yeah, it's just you're gridding the field back and forth with the dogs, and you're being strategic on the ground you cover because you don't want to walk any more than you have to because you're going to walk quite a bit. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think too, like, man, like uh, uh, for anybody who's going into a new type of hunting, be humble. Like prepare yourself to be out of your element. I mean, yeah, I know how to shoot a shotgun. If we go you know, bust some clays or something like that, me, I'm going to be competitive with a lot of guys. But when I go into a different hunting situation, such as pheasant hunting like this, um, I don't know what I'm doing. And if I'm with guys that do, and they're they're telling me I'm doing something wrong, don't be a jerk and be prideful. Be humble and accept the knowledge that they're putting upon you. Yeah, I got a good I got a good story. Uh, this this past season, we were out with a I was out with a dad and two sons teaching them etiquette. Both both boys had just got out of hunter safety. One was 11. One was like 13. Uh, dad had his hunting license. All he ever hunted was dove. That's, he went out once a year and hunted dove. But you can apply for these pheasant hunts in the state of California completely free. And sometimes they're planted but not planted like you would think of setting yeah. the bird down. They have farmers that have a 1,000 acres that they have released pheasants on the month prior. And then you can actually go out in those fields uh, after everything's grown up and, and do that kind of stuff. So there's but we also have wild hunts that we do. But there's all these different ones that the state puts on for free. So I was out there with his dad and, this, and these two boys. And this dad, uh, again, I was out there. We had myself, dog handler, dog, dad, and two boys. And this dad was the biggest jerk in the world. He wasn't listening to critique. He was trying to teach his sons, you know, what to do. He was he was shooting over his dogs. Nice. He was shooting before his kids. We're sitting there just trying to explain. And we're finally I pulled him aside and said, hey, you're teaching your your sons how to be bad hunters. You're teaching your your sons, n- you know, improper etiquette. Fashion, and this right? guy, oh yeah, but I'm I'm a dick when it comes to talking. <laughs> sometimes people don't listen. But I was just telling this guy, I was like, hey, you need to you need to calm down. He's like, why? Well, pheasant meat sucks anyway. Like I'm just out here because so, it was free. And I politely looked at the guy and said, you can go back to your car. I'm gonna hunt with your boys. And he started getting all uppity. And finally, his oldest son's like, dad, just go to the car. And I sat there, myself and Dog Handler, we taught these boys what it meant to be hunters and what proper safety was and zone nice. fire and how to hold their weapons and how to properly shoot. And one of the things we got talking to these boys about was that if you shoot it, you eat it. You shoot it, you clean it, and being excited about that. And the dad calmed down. He came back out in the field, and 
he became humble, like you were saying, Joel. He sat there and said, "I apologize. You know, I'm a, I'm an amazing hunter and this and that." And but it came down to be where you know I talked to these people and and that's what it's all about. As as hunters, we are supposed to be educators. I think we'll yep. all agree, Justin, uh, John, Joel. We're we're supposed to be educators. And if we go out and myself, I've never squirrel hunted, like I was saying. But if I go out with Joel or John, I'm going to be so humbled and listen to every ounce of advice. Now, I'm a crack shot, man. I can shoot them. I can drop animals at 400 yards. I can, you know, use a box to hit my limited dove. But when it comes to something I don't know, I'm going to humble myself and be like, hey. Teach me the ways. Like, I've never, yeah. Yeah, I've never skinned a squirrel. Let me sit there and just absorb this redneck knowledge. <laughs> I know. Uh, that's just. <laughs> I don't even care. That's a common but you know what I'm, sucker. Yeah, because, again, I know that if Joel came out with me and I took him out pheasant hunting, he'd be just, you know, yeah. teach me. I want to I want to learn. I, I've never shot um, a bird that scares the crap out of you when it flushes yeah. sometimes. So sure, when, if you don't have a dog, um, one of the best pieces of advice I can ever give is just to stop. Every morning. And no listen. one walking. Just to stop. Like, you know that scene in Bambi where the, the, the bird kind of has the freak out moment and flushes in front of the hunters? Yeah. Um, oh, right. stress them out. And that's same with any upland hunting, quail or or um, squirrel or anything that's going to bust out in front of you. So rabbits do it all the time. If you're walking, if you're doing that grid, if you just keep walking and you walk right past more game than you'll ever see, but if you just stop for a second and then just wait, you'll often see stuff flush or fly or um, run out in front of you really rather well. It's a good trick without a dog. So, so on it, that – go ahead, I, Justin. I, I, I can concur with that. I actually um, – Oddly enough, I uh, was in New Jersey this past um, past Thanksgiving doing some waterfowl hunting, and the state of New Jersey has these like sort of regulated areas where they release pheasants, and we were walking to one of the, the waterfowl areas where we were going to set up decoys and all that, and as we're walking, we're sort of walking, stopping, walking, stopping, you know, we're chatting a little bit, not really paying attention, and... I, I've never been pheasant hunting. I've never seen a pheasant in the wild. This was sort of the first time, and I look over, and I'm like, what is that? I was like, it's not a chicken, and it, it was a pheasant. And sure, we kept like walking, stopping, walking, stopping, and eventually we stressed that bird out enough that it just flushed. But it's yeah, it's certainly so, true. A lot of times, those birds will really test you, and you'll even test the dog. And if one thing I can definitely say to those folks uh, who are new to working with bird dogs is the dog never lies. So if mm-hmm. they get real birdy and they're saying that, hey, there's a bird in the air and you're kicking the grass and uh, you're kicking the bush and nothing's coming out and you tell the dog, come on, dog, we're going to the next spot. Typically, you walk five feet away and the bird flushes behind you and it's gone. So uh, always try to trust your dog. A good dog never lies. Along that point is a good dog never lies is sometimes you need to be aware of it too because if you remember flushing a bird there earlier in the day and your dog's on point, you can tell if that's a if that's a hot trail or a cold trail by the way that your dog's sniffing the air, uh, by the way that your dog's on point. I mean, I can walk behind a dog and sit there going, okay, that's an, that's a cold trail, let's go, because they're fidgety. They're, they're, they're not sure of themselves. But like John was saying, when you get a dog who's a good dog, who's been trained properly, who even hasn't been trained properly, if you've got a good breed, a good bloodline in that dog, when they're on point, they do not move. I mean, we were working with a, a buddy's dog named Demon, and Demon is the most crazy dog in the entire world. He will run around, and he will, but when he goes on point, you can literally take a marble and put it on his tail and roll it all the way down on his forehead, off his nose, 
and he will not flinch or move. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen because of the fact he's been trained and we trust that dog. And like John was saying, there's been times where I've had people that are like, there's no, there's, there's no bird here. And they start to walk and I'll sit there and I'll just, I just patiently wait and wait and wait. And next thing you know, I'm like, you know, get bird. And that dog jumps at that bird and I take a shot and guess who has a bird in the bag and guess who turns around going, ah, crap, I should have listened. So there's nothing yeah, definitely. more amazing than watching a dog, a properly trained dog work. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's seriously, it's, it's a beautiful thing, especially if you're the guy that did the training. I mean, that's, uh, that's gratifying, you know, to watch the, the fruits of your labors. I love watching a good dog do its job. Well, let's talk about dog etiquette, I guess, because if you're on a pheasant field and there's multiple guys out there, be in control of your dog. Um, let's not, let's, uh, the safety zone, there's also a dog safety zone. And it's usually, I try to tell people it's that, it's that 50 yard mark, right? It's that 50 yards. Keep your dog in that grid. Use those collars, use your whistles, use your calls, keep that dog in line so that you're not flushing another bird for someone else's field, or you're not flushing a bird that you are, that's so far away. I watch guys out there, they let their dogs get a hundred yards in front of them and their dog flushes a bird because they're excited or because they're on point and that bird yeah. flushes. Uh, keep your dog close to you. Keep him in range. Same thing with a, with a good duck dog. You're not going to send your dog, dog out in the water to sit there and wait for you to take a shot. You're going to keep that dog next to you and teach it how to, to understand you and listen to your calls and then say, get bird. When, you know, yeah, when a dog, dog drops. wants to be disciplined. Uh, I mean, dogs crave that because they crave, you know, the, pleasing their master you know they want to know that they're that they're doing a right. good job for you so i mean dogs want to, to have structure and discipline the same way that young children do oh i agree well let's talk about plucking or skinning or breasting there's three types you can do on a pheasant you can skin it you can pluck it you can breast it i know my top one i know joel you've never done it justin you've ever done it randy have you ever oh, hunted yeah. pheasant oh yeah um Okay, so what is what's your I guess go in order. One, two, three. What's your what's your top way to to field dress that? I only have one. It's not a one, two, three, it's it's a skin it. Um because for me, breasting it wastes all the meat. The legs suck to eat or to eat as like, you know, a roast. But um you just cook those you just cook those down. Let's talk about those down. But the reason I like the, the the skinning um skinning them is because just plucking them there, but their skin is like paper. Trying to pluck a pheasant is, mm-hmm. is super duper hard, especially if you've got a good body shot on it. You're just going to tear it. And, and I have a hard time dedicating the amount of time and patience it takes to get one of those things skinned properly or um, plucked properly. So I'll just I'll usually just start at the neck and just pull them down like a sock, like a rabbit, and they're done. So. Okay. John, how about Again, yourself? don't kill too many pheasants. I try to use as much of it as I can. I skin it. Uh, I've never plucked Anything other than uh, ducks at this point, ducks and geese. So um, that's something new to me that I'm going to be getting into a lot more uh, this fall. But uh, definitely skinning the whole bird because uh, those legs are delicious, low and slow, and uh, make good stock too. Okay, so I guess I'll take this since I probably killed the most pheasant out of this group. It drives me crazy when I go out and I'm doing these youth hunts or going out in the field. And I watch the guys stand on the wings, uh, grab the legs, and pull up. And like what you do with a dove, where you got your breast with the two wings, and they take the rest of that meat and they throw it away. Uh, drives me crazy because, yes, the leg meat on a pheasant is very f- tendony. It's very it's full of tendons. 
It's tough meat, but you can braise that down, and it is phenomenal meat. It's amazing in stocks. But you'll see these guys, and they'll, they'll take these two breasts, and they'll throw everything else away. And I've made the best stocks in the world from pheasant bones. But uh, the, the, the top one is skinning because, yes, pheasants are very, very thin-skinned birds. Unlike a duck where you could sit there and yank at this sucker. At a turkey, you can yank yeah. at that sucker. If you're, if you're yanking at a pheasant, you've already ripped off all the skin. Can I, can I ask a question so, real quick, though? If, yeah. If you plan on skinning the pheasant in general... If yanking the feathers takes the skin off, is what's the downside of that? Like if I if I could just go through ripping them feathers off and the skin's coming with it, is that not, is could that skin a pheasant in ten okay. seconds? But if you're sitting there if you're sitting there trying to pluck it, it's going to take you an hour. So, but me personally, I love plucking pheasant. I'm one of the crazy people that love skin on pheasant. Again, it's paper thin, so when you cook that skin up, it's like oh, it's just crispy, perfect. Just delicate skin on top of this thing. Um, but the way to do it is you don't do it dry. Just like I've taught a lot of guys with with ducks and turkey, getting that rolling boil on a water, turning that water off, submerging that bird for 10 seconds and pulling it out, you'll be able to pull off those feathers beyond easy. Just I mean, I mean John, I was talking to you about plucking your first ducks this past season too. Uh, same thing is getting that bird wet. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes, it's mushy. Yes, it smells like a wet dog, um, but it works. Another thing is, is, is a tumbler, and once you get those birds wet, you can actually spin that tumbler, which is like a salad thing, and it actually will help pull those feathers off without you even touching a feather. Um, I've done whole birds that way, and you just got to go cut, pluck a couple pin feathers. Again, I have a million things that I do. We'll try to get some YouTube videos up here soon so you guys can see this, but Plucking a pheasant is way easier than you would ever think. And the skin on that stuff is just, I mean, to die for. It's like crackling on a pig, man. Nice. It is, it's just beautiful. So keeping with that whole thing, we'll talk about recipes. Pheasant recipes. I have a million of them. I post a million of them because, again, I, I hunt more pheasant than anything else. And especially doing a lot of these youth hunts is a lot of these guys don't want to take home the birds. So I get stuck with a bummer. <laughs> but one recipe that, that keeps coming back to, it's been my most, my most popular recipe, is my orange chicken-style pheasant. John just got a magazine and showed me a picture from Missouri. Now, I'm in California, and it's in there, Missouri Conservation Wildlife. There's a picture of, of this recipe that I did. Um, and it, it, it'll compete out there with any Chinese food restaurant you go to, is taking that, that breast meat, taking it off, taking that skin off, dicing it up, and making a super simple orange sauce for it. And... I make it that has a kick. I make it that doesn't have a kick. I'll post a recipe. I'll post pictures. If you want to go see it, it's on, on Instagram. Um, but it's the one recipe I make to people that say they hate pheasant. Somebody tells me I hate pheasant because it's dry. I hate pheasant because it's, it's gamey. Again, I hate that word. I hate, I hate pheasant because it's, it's all dark meat. I cook this up for them, and, they, and they're like, okay, well, when you can bring out the pheasant. Uh, it is that amazing. It's that tender. And it's just so simple to make the... Going back to that story that I talked about with that dad and, that, and those boys, I had, the reason I created this recipe was for this dad and this son, these sons. Uh, this recipe came about because of them. When we were done hunting and the boys each had their two birds, and, and the dad goes, well, I'll just give you the birds because we're not going to eat them because I hate pheasant meat. And I looked at him and I looked at the boys and said, what's your favorite thing in the world to eat? over here. Chicken what? Chicken wise. Uh, and the boys both looked at me and said, orange chicken at Panda Express. And I went, your favorite 
chicken dish in the world. It's orange chicken from Panda Express. And they said, yes. And I said, all right, if I create a recipe that you guys can cook at home that resembles orange chicken from Panda Express, will you eat it? And the dad said, of course, I'll cook it. So I skinned those birds for those guys. I vacuum sealed them and I gave them to them. And I went home and I worked for four days creating a recipe that resembled orange chicken. And I took that and, you know, and I said, okay, how can I make this recipe that will blow this dad's mind? And I emailed it over to him and I made this recipe and I took pictures. And it, I got an email back that night and the dad said, you've changed my mind. We will always eat our pheasant. Thank you for the amazing dish. And I think as chefs and as hunters, that's yeah. our goal uh, yep. for all of this. And the reason that we all come up with recipes that John – is going to post an amazing dove recipe that Justin's going to post a quail recipe that Randy's going to post a recipe on rabbits and that uh, Joel's going to sit there and hit us with a squirrel recipe is because these are the recipes that people looked at us and said, I don't like that meat. Yeah, yeah, man. With? And I think a lot of things, man, with any kind of uh, uh, cooking or uh, wild game cooking, people, you got to remember that preparation is key. Just, just put the time into the meal. You know, you can't expect to just throw a bunch of stuff into a skillet. It's going to come out right, you know. Put the time into your meal, and the, t- the meal is going to give back to you. I think the number re- number one reason why I try to inspire people is just that those same deals. I've had it. I don't like it. I- I've ridden it off. It's off my list. I'll never try it again. It's like, here, dr- try this beef real quick. Oh, man, that's great. What is it? Oh, it's venison, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're here for. I mean, yeah, dude, it's it's, it's – to educate these people and it's almost a challenge you know we know it's good when someone tells you it's not i mean challenge accepted for sure (laughs) so perfect well again we we thank you guys for tuning in we thank you guys for listening uh again we've got randy we've got justin we got john we got joel i I, I just looked at my page and remember this we're all jays but randy yeah Uh, Jeremiah, Joel, Randy, John, Justin, with his fancy Randy. equipment and his good. Go re- start calling. Got to be different. We're gonna, we're gonna start calling <laughs> you Dandy. Uh, so anyway, we just want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for all the support you guys gave us on our first one. Uh, this is our second one. Many to come. Go ahead and check us out. We created a Facebook page, all of us together. It's called Tasting Wild. So just search it on Facebook. We're the only ones on there because we're the best. Um, and we'll be able to. You guys will be able to leave questions, comments, concerns. Uh, we'll all be posting on there throughout uh, the rest of this time. You'll also be able to check out all of our um, websites and Facebooks and all that good jazz on the next blog. So, again, keep it up. Other than that, I think we all say. Later. Right. We'll see you. Bye.